Welcome to the Doll Podcast. I'm your host, Louisa Maxwell. My guest is Sammy Odin, lecturer and author of numerous books on dolls and director of the Musée de la Poupée Paris for 25 years. Now, Sammy shares his expertise and passion for antique dolls through Cheripin in Paris. Because of the global pandemic, we record our podcasts online. So if you hear any clicks or buzzes, it's just the magic of the World Wide Web. Sammy shares the story of Bluette, the little doll that enchanted generations of French children for the first half of the 20th century. Bluette was launched in 1905 by a children's magazine called La Semaine de Suzette, where this little doll became a huge success with young readers, who read about her adventures in the magazine and sewed clothing from the patterns supplied by the magazine. More than 1,000 clothing patterns were published for Bluette, making her one of the most fashionable dolls in history. Sammy Audin, a warm welcome once again to the Doll Podcast. I can't wait to hear all about Bluette and her history. Oh, thank you. I'm so thrilled, uh, Louisa, to be with you today, especially to focus on a topic that I've been working on for so long. Yes, Bluette. Bluette. Bluette was sold as part of a magazine launched by the Gautier Publishing Company. What inspired this publisher to use a doll to attract young readers to their magazine? Well, I think that this was already a tradition in France because other children magazines were already distributing dolls at the time. And I'm especially thinking of La Poupée Modèle, who since uh, 1864, they had been very active in promoting uh, dolls as playthings with children. So it was not a new idea. And in a way, the fact that Gautier uh, decided to name the doll very explicitly as Bleuette was not uh, a new idea either. What was new was the fact that uh, the magazine seemed to concentrate uh, in creating Bleuette as a persona, as a real character that would have a life and would have things happening uh, around her and for her. So it was a very wise attitude, considering that this plaything that was the support for a magazine was not only a plaything, but it was a commercial involvement in distributing something that was exclusive to the magazine. Yes. It's true that other magazines in the, in the 19th century were already distributing dolls, but sometimes there was not a line, you know, in the magazine you wouldn't find, except for patterns and sometimes printed fabric sheets, you wouldn't get as much for the dolls themselves, where Bluet became part of also the little novels that were published and uh, it was very intricate. Uh, the, the presence of Bluet in the magazine was stronger than in the, in the past. So they created a real character, a three-dimensional character in the magazine, 
as Bluette, somebody who had adventures, who not only wore the clothes or you sewed for her, but she had a life of her own and a family. So especially as the plaything for the reader of the magazine that was meaningful and the imagined reader, ideal reader of Las Men uh, was this Suzette that was, of course, the portrait of any little uh, child who was reading the magazine. Evidently, the, the publisher um, was aiming to catch a certain audience. It was, first of all, uh, a Catholic-oriented magazine that appeared when a church and state separated. And uh, Henri Gautier was already involved in publishing other magazines that were for an adult audience, but who were explicitly in the obedience of the Catholic uh, belief. So uh, Bleuette was really meant to be a good support to a child that was uh, raised in, in, this, in those values. And uh, this is the reason why, for example, at the very beginning, the advice that the publisher were writing in the magazine where, well, you know, uh, as a child, you have to uh, be very careful in not uh, spending uh, money, money foolishly. So if you want to dress your doll, you have to wait until uh, your mama gives you uh, some leftover fabric from uh, your own dresses or her own dresses. Uh, so initially it was a, you know, through Bleuette, they were trying to teach uh, a certain economy and a certain pride out of dressing your doll yourself. But very soon, they realized that the quality probably of what the little girls were able to do for Bleuette was probably not completely satisfactory. So uh, keeping that uh, uh, aspect of the production of the dolls and the, to play with them through uh, learning sewing skills, uh, Bleuette also became a model and uh, Henri Gautier already was, in 1907, he was already selling ready-made uh, outfits for her. Who designed these wonderful outfits for Bleuette and what was the first range of outfits for Bleuette? Well, at the very beginning, it is not uh, clear who was, was really doing uh, the pattern work but the person who was in charge for choosing the models and uh, explaining to the girls how to sew uh, for their doll was Tante Jacqueline. Tante Jacqueline was a lady that had been already involved with Henri Gautier in other publications. And she was an elderly lady at the time. I mean, not really elderly, but she, she was toward the end of her um, mature life as editor and it's probably one of the reasons why the aesthetics and the way Bleuette was conceived at the very beginning was that of someone who was not in the modernity of that early 20th century. In a way Bleuette was not out of fashion but it was uh, based on a model that was already known before, namely the Jumeau company who was providing Bleuette for Gauthier Langlois. And when I say Jumeau, it's of course the SFBJ because 
when uh, Jumeau stopped in 1899, the SBJ took over the running of the company. But at the time, Jumeau was only one among other makers who were gathered in this uh, bigger company who was actually using the building that Jumeau was renting, the SFBJ. So uh, when Bleuette appeared, it was natural that they would want to use the Jumeau reputation of a quality, uh, fully articulated bebe, and also the fact that it would have that very uh, endearing face of a Jumeau, a classic Jumeau, which uh, explains why today uh, the, what we call the premier jumeau, the, the earliest model made for that first number in February 1905, is so successful among collectors because it reminds the older jumeaux that were made uh, during the 19th century. These beautiful jumeaux dolls were so successful. What are the characteristics of Bluette that made her such a success with French children? And of course, she's still such a success today. What size was she about the body, the articulation? Well, uh, Bluette was a, what I would call a standard doll uh, that SFBJ was already making uh, since the, the beginning of the company. So it was, again, not new. Uh, there was nothing exclusive destined to Henri Gautier for this doll. It was, at the very beginning, a present to the new subscribers. This changed uh, in a matter of months uh, because they realized that it would be too expensive to offer um, a fully articulated uh, jumeau bébé to all subscribers. So as soon as the spring bleuette was for sale, only those who had subscribed to the magazine almost in advance before the first number appeared could get the doll for free. And this is where, in a way, uh, as collectors today, we are well aware that the premiere is kind of a, an exception because they only made so many. When they launched the production of Bleuette, it was made out of parts that were not exclusive, but the reunion of all of these parts gave a doll that no one else was getting as it was. The head uh, was in a size two. So this is the, when you read the advertising, they were explaining, oh, well, you can get a bread for free, but if you uh, don't subscribe immediately, you can use your Bebe Jumeau in size two instead. So. It, Bleuette had the characteristics of a jumeau bébé size two from the early 20th century. So the, the very, very first um, series was uh, made out of the jumeau mold, but the heads were made already in Germany, which explains the fact that there is a double sizing that appears in the back of the head. There is the two, which is the French size, and there is a one that is the German size for the same head. These are so rare. I only have seen probably, what, two dozens uh, of authentic premier bleuette marked like that. Wow. Of course, the first order, the first order was um, uh, meant to cover uh, the expectations of the magazine of about 
50,000 children uh, subscribers. But the numbers were so much higher, then immediately they got the German porcelain factories that were providing heads to SFBJ to uh, cover and to uh, produce a doll that was a little less expensive uh, to make. And this is when the same year, so only a matter of weeks, uh, some weeks later, uh, the six slash zero bluette appeared, what we call the Fleischmann mold bluette. And this is actually, I would say, the doll that probably marked in the collective memory uh, the image of Bleuette, and it's this mold face that appeared in the only advertising that was photographic in the magazine in 1907. So the Bleuette that has that mouse face with the big eyes and little mouth and who is not made out of Jumeau mold, but out of the Fleischmann mold, is really probably the more meaningful doll made before the First uh, World War. After that, of course, there has been a, a more frequent evolution in the head of Bleuette, which changed very regularly over time. And uh, as we try to uh, show in the books that we, we did over the years, we try to be very consistent in explaining that each period, sometimes it's a five-year period, sometimes it's, it's less, sometimes it's longer. But, you know, every time there is a, a new step in the production of Bleuette, uh, it's important that the collector has all the elements uh, to be able to understand if the doll is indeed a Bleuette or not. Now, going back to the very first premiere, so the head was marked two and one over one, uh, or one over two, depending. And then you had that phase that only lasted a few weeks when SFBJ provided all of the heads they had in stock that were made out of the same mold, but not necessarily marked the same way. So you have some that are marked two only and others that are marked one only, but with a size that is identical to a two. So I see sometimes those that are, that pretend to be bleuette, they are in size one. And when you put them close to a size two, they are smaller. So those are not bluettes. Of course, it was important for the doll to have the same height, 27 centimeters, to have a fully articulated body who had a two between in, in the back, um, in the torso, and one under the feet. It was that alchemia of getting pieces that were, you know, available for other dolls, but all put together, they gave that size of 27 centimeters that was uh, specific for Gautier Langot. So Bluette, it's really kind of a magical process because I was so fascinated by what you said there as a, I'm a new Bluette collector. I only have one Bluette, but she has totally stolen my heart. And the interesting thing when you start to read about Bluette is exactly what you made clear there, that there's a vast array of dolls and molds and the way things were put together and the way things changed so quickly to respond to the demands of the readers of La Semaine de Suzette. 
So obviously this magazine was really a runaway success from the beginning because it seems like the dolls and the magazine worked in tandem to create this wonderful surge of interest. Well, I have the feeling that uh, at the beginning, Madame uh, de la Roche, uh, so the Tante Jacqueline, uh, was kind of a little strict in her beliefs, and uh, she she ran the, the the magazine, not really concentrating on Bleuette as much as it happened after the the publisher realized uh, how strong the potential, the commercial potential of Bleuette was. And as soon as Henri Gautier associated with his nephew, uh, which was uh, Monsieur Langros, Maurice Langros, they really changed dr drastically the way the magazine was uh, uh, run. And uh, you can see modernity arriving because, of course, the wife, the younger wife of uh, Maurice Langros was a, a very elegant lady. She used to dress in high uh, couture uh, uh, garments. Uh, she came from upper class and she raised her daughter, who was born uh, in 1921, the famous Lulotte. Um, she dressed her in the same way, so in a very trendy way, which was bringing that new aesthetics, uh, typical of the 20s, which explains why Bleuette, from the first appearance uh, as a plaything that was perceived as old-fashioned, became very trendy, especially starting from uh, the birth of uh, Claude Langros. Now, of course, Jeanne Lanvin, for example, was one of the uh, high couture um, uh, creators who dressed uh, the, the, the young uh, Claude Langros. And evidently, Bleuette, from then on, then on, became, you know, the reflection of the image that Claude Langros had as a child, and her mother was very, very careful in keeping those high standards in the, in the look, in taking very good illustrators to represent uh, that chic, uh, very Parisian in the garments that were sold for Bleuette. And Bleuette so evolved uh, as much as the Jumeau Bebe over the years. Um, and the SFBJ there again was not really making anything uh, unique for Gautier. It was the combination of elements that were produced by SFBJ no matter what, so that Bleuette evolved as quickly as the classic Jumeau uh, Bebe, as we all know now, and we, we can follow that. But as collectors, it's important to be aware that uh, every time there was a change in the face mold, a change in the body, for example, in 1933, uh, Bleuette grows two centimeters. Um, all of these uh, elements that are factual uh, need to be taken in consider into consideration uh, when one uh, a collector wants to dress uh, his Bleuette doll in an appropriate way. So normally, we thought with Monique Couturier, that was my co-author for the bigger uh, book that we did on the on the topic, that it was important to um, show the evolution of the doll and the wardrobe, but in a chronological order, so that when you have, for example, you own a, 
a blurred doll that is made out of the uh, Unis France uh, 66 slash 08 slash zero mold, um, you have a, a span of a few years uh, to choose garments from before you move to the wardrobe that was made uh, for the, the following face mold. Uh, and in a way, it's a, it's a good playing um, pattern for collectors today to try to dress their doll really into the right period. It's really interesting because when we are playing with Bluet, one of the things we learn as we look at La Semaine de Suzette is if we go back as early as World War One, Bluet was reflecting the changes in society and she wore a little uniform of a bus conductor. She wore a military uniform called Tipperary and also she had a beautiful Red Cross uh, nurse's uniform because many women now went and were on the battlefields of France. So she's reflecting social change and then as you said in the 1920s and 30s especially the chic drawings in La Semaine de Suzette of these lovely bluettes with their bobbed hair again are reflecting the changes in women and children in society. Girls are now wearing clothes for sports, they're skiing, they're wearing trousers, and Bluette is following the latest trends. Uh, it's true that Bluette has been very trendy uh, over, over time, even uh, when you look at the wardrobe of the later years from the 50s, she was still incarnating that almost the new look uh, of, of Dior. And I mean, you, you can see the, the influence um, of the, the haute couture on Bleuette's wardrobe. Uh, now, it's true that sometimes, as it happens with people who are very permeable with fashion matters, Bleuet sometimes was even in advance. I mean, you you have examples of uh, all that series of sports outfit that uh, Bleuet was wearing. Well, since she the the, the designers of of Bleuet's wardrobe uh, were in the heart of uh, the fashion district in Paris, and they could feel what the new air uh, was bringing, they were very quick in responding. And the ski outfits for Bleuette are really uh, almost uh, one year in advance compared to what you would then be able to buy for your own children the, the, the following uh, season. So, uh, yes, it's very interesting to get involved in Bleuette history as a fashion statement. And one collector really looks closely to the way uh, Gauthier Longro's outfits, the ready-made ones, were made, it was quite remarkable that a plaything that was, of course, uh, a little more expensive than cheaper things, but it was not overly expensive compared to haute couture, was very well made, and the refinement and the consistency in the characteristics of the uh, in the making of these outfits gives us at least a good testified uh, proof of what the characteristics of uh, an authentic Gautier Langro are. And it's very evident that even though today as collectors, we tend to 
get inspired by what Gauthier Langros did, but the copies of Gauthier Langros, uh, when you have enough experience, you can immediately tell if something is authentic or not. You can tell, I imagine, by the fabrics and the sewing and different elements. Well, especially the way they are put together. The, 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 there are some details that really uh, are very consistent. And we know that Madame Langros, so the mother of the lot, was used a lot of seamstresses that were working at home. But she had a, a quality control that was very strict. And um, she would turn down very easily. Apparently, she was not an, an, an easygoing kind of boss uh, at all. I mean, she was very picky, very particular, and she wanted it to be the way she wanted it. And uh, so it, only uh, the, the seamstresses that came from haute couture or, you know, those ateliers in, in a time where the sewing technique was more frequent uh, compared to our time. Um, still, she was very picky in choosing the people who worked for her. Perhaps this is why these garments, which are a wonderful testament to fashion history, have survived. Well, it's true that many little girls, of course, if they played with their bread, you end up you know, losing parts of it or damaging. And but when one has the uh, opportunity to get an authentic, in pristine condition GL outfit for a bluet, it can actually be displayed as is as a work of art because some are really uh, remarkable fashion statements. And especially personally, I prefer that period between the two world wars when really they had reached the peak of their popularity even though, of course, the later production uh, is quite forceful and very well made. But after World War, II, World War II, Bleuette uh, struggled. And we can tell from the way the, the dolls were made that the golden years of Bleuette were over. Well, of course, the war had an impact. Uh, shortages and changes in production happened during World well, War II. Uh, Actually, Bleuette didn't really cease production. What was a problem is that La Semaine de Suzette was not authorized to be published during the war. But the department that was producing the garments and the dolls was not shut down, but they found an, a different way of advertising their products. So, of course, the little girls who came in Rue Jacob to the office of the publisher, they could buy directly some garments for Bleuette and uh, some ads appeared in another magazine that uh, the same uh, publisher was editing, uh, L'Eveillé des Chaumières. And so the link with the audience that was far away, that was not living in Paris, uh, was kept and little girls could order, send their little... <laughs> you know, a paper order through the mail and hope to get something. Of course, the restrictions were such that they didn't use high quality materials during that time. They also had sometimes to use leftover fabrics from older periods. So you can really tell that they went 
uh, to the very bottom of their drawers to get something to dress Goethe. And sometimes it's interesting when you have an extensive collection and that you can compare those uh, doll garments from different periods, uh, you would find, for example, lace or, or elements that had already been used during the 20s that come back during the 40s. So it means that probably there was really hard shortage of uh, primary material. It's also interesting that during the, the, the 1940s, the production, of course, was still alive, but it was minimal compared to the decade that just uh, finished. So today to find 1940s garments made by GL is actually rare, and it explains why they, they keep being valued by collectors today. It is wonderful to look back and see how even at such a bleak time, she was again and remains a document of social history, but also that she gave some joy and some hope to little girls during World War II. It's true that that period, Bluet kept going, but of course, the main character uh, for Gauthier Langros was Bécassine, and Bécassine was the one who was not allowed uh, to be published again, because, of course, during the First World War, she had been very critical towards the Germans. So the first thing that the authorities did when they arrived uh, in Paris under occupation, they reduced uh, Bécassine to silence, and we really have to wait until uh, two years after World War II for Bécassine to reappear as a, a comic character in the magazine. So, of course, Bécassine, tell us who Bécassine is in Bluet's world. Well, Bécassine is a comics a character that uh, was born in the same first number of La Semaine de Suzette uh, together with Bluet, except that Bluet was planned ahead uh, of time when Bikastin was something that happened at the very last minute. Apparently, some uh, illustrator didn't bring the, the expected page. Bikastin, actually, in the world of Bleuette, she first was simply a character that Bleuette would wear the costume as a disguise in the early 20th century. It's only much later that Gauthier Langros developed a real three-dimensional doll that would represent Bécassine. Bécassine and Bleuette were born in the same number of Las Mines de Suzette, but Bécassine was only two-dimensional character at the beginning, and it remained as such for a long time. But when Maurice Langros started writing the stories of Bécassine, invented the character as a real novel character. And of course, Bécassine is a little Breton girl, that from her provincial uh, origin, she comes to Paris and she serves as a maid with Marquise de Grantaire. And it's uh, after uh, Claude Langros was born, her father created the character of Lulotte, who arrives in the stories of Bécassine as a little baby who uh, Madame de Grantaire adopts. So she's a child, she's a baby, and she's an orphan, and uh, she evolves with Bécassine as her nanny. So, of course, there is a, a, an age difference between 
Lulot, who is the same age as Bleuette, and Bécassine, who is an adult. Bécassine is a very refreshing character, and she's very daring, and she's funny. So children could really relate to Bécassine as an adult that actually was as funny as a child. In 1947, a lady by the name of Rendegré obtained the exclusive rights for making a cloth Bécassine that the magazine would sell. Of course, Bécassine was made in initially in the good proportion to be perceived as an adult uh, taller than Bleuette. And so the little girls from after World War II, they used to play uh, with Bleuette and Bécassine as both being three-dimensional dolls. It's wonderful to delve into the actual stories of Bleuette, which we get in La Semaine de Suzette, and to understand the thinking behind the characters, because you look at it and it's a children's story, and you see her in her Breton costume, and now you understand that she also offered Bleuette a way of uh, having more adventures, going out in the world and thinking about different things, which little girls were thinking about. They're always thinking about having adventures and having fun. Oh, sure, sure. And this probably explains also the fact that the, the wardrobe that Bleuette could wear, you can find in her wardrobe clothing for the interior, but also clothing for outings that are very different from the skiing outfit to the all the sports that are uh, evidently part of Lulot's uh, early life. Uh, apparently, she has been very good in, at sports when she was a child. And uh, so you have a, a tennis outfit, and then you have the hiking outfit, and this and that, and the, the to, to go on a boat. Uh, you know, Bleuette has a very rich variety of clothing that are appropriate for each occasion. And of course, there are other characters in Bluette's world. A new baby sister, Benjamin, arrived for Bluette in 1926. And in 1928, Bambino, a little brother, was added to the family. She also got a friend in 1931, a baby called Bambola. These babies also had extensive wardrobes to sew and collect. Were they popular with children? Well, in the case of Benjamin, it was a total failure. The idea that the, the magazine had, I think, was good, but they probably didn't give the first uh, and only Benjamin uh, produced in 26 uh, the right appearance. It was a wigged little girl with bent limbs, but a head that was a character-like face that probably didn't please the audience. Anyway, it disappeared almost immediately. So they are extremely rare to find. The characteristics of Benjamin is that she looks like a 251, but she's only marked with size number three uh, in the neck. Benjamin lasted only a few weeks, which explains why I've seen only three uh, wow. Benjamin in my life. And I don't own any. It has been a, a very ephemeral episode in Bleuette's life, and the only garment that we know has been made for her 
is a very simple beachwear that you know is nothing remarkable on the, on the fashion side of it. Two years later, when they developed the same concept, but realizing that what little girls uh, that were reading the magazine wanted was a baby. I mean, really a you know a bald headed uh, baby doll that would become Goethe's little brother. Bombino was an immediate success, but in a way, it's difficult to understand that something that was not in the same scale would be successful. When you compare Bambino and Bleuet, Bambino has a head that is twice as big as Bleuet's. Yes. So as a, as a little brother, it's kind of not really in the right scale. But Bambino always had his own life. There was nothing really happening for Bambino in the magazine, except from a few patterns. Uh, we don't see any novels or, or stories that would include Bambino, but uh, he, he had his own life as a plaything. And the little girls who prefer to play with a baby doll rather than with a girl doll, they were very pleased with it. So Gautier Longot developed this uh, very nice uh, array of garments that were ready-made, perfect things for uh, baby doll lovers. And this explains why uh, Bambino actually kept being produced until the very end. There also, we have characteristics that not every baby doll in that uh, size is a Bambino. At the very beginning, it was only bearing the size mark one. Then it moved into a similar baby that was made entirely by Sabijay, made out of a different mold that only bore the numbers, size number three. And then toward the end, the mid-50s, they stopped producing Bambino with a biscuit, with a solid dome, and they had it made of plastic, hard plastic. And this is the only time when Bambino was marked with the Jumeau explicit marking, as well as the mold number 278 in size three. So this is a simplification of the evolution of Bambino. It's interesting that in 1931, when the colonial exhibition was held in Paris, um, of course, Gauthier Longot thought of launching a souvenir for the colonial exhibition that would be a black version of Bambino. And this is extremely rare. They only produced one outfit for him, but it only lasted two seasons. So this is, again, like Benjamin, extremely scarce. So collectors should actually, when they focus on Las de Suzette dolls, they know they have three major dolls, Bleuette first, Bambino, and the last bigger sister is Rosette, who appeared in 1955. But uh, those other two characters that are Benjamin and uh, Mamboulin, those two are really so ephemeral that almost there is no chance for any of us to find it. Well, as you mentioned, Rosette, Bleuette's big sister, was mentioned in La Semaine de Suzette in 1955, and a doll was introduced and produced for two years. What are the differences between Rosette and Bleuette? What kind of wardrobe did Rosette have, and how much older would you say she was meant to be then, Bleuette? Well, she's presented as the older sister. In reality, what SLBJ did for uh, Henri Gautier was simply to offer 
a bigger size doll that instead of being in size one and one fourth, she would be in size three. She measures 35 centimeters. Like Bleuette, she is the combination of parts that were already produced uh, for other standard dolls from the SLBJ line. So this is even harder uh, for collectors today because sometimes the differences between an ordinary articulated 301 size three that you could find in any doll shop and a true rosette is minimal. So uh, the characteristics of the real rosette are hard plastic eyes, hard plastic torso, wooden and compo limbs, uh, biscuit or pressed carton head, and two possible wigs that were made always with human hair, a braided version of it with longer hair and a shorter bob type of flip are the two hairdos that Rosette ever wore. So now this doll, the proportion, like with Bambino and Bleuette, they don't really work well because she is simply a bigger version of Bleuette, but it's not as if she had a different body as a teenager opposed to a child that is not teen. It's exactly the same bigger version, and it's the same with a wardrobe. Rosette didn't have her own wardrobe. She simply had a bigger variety of garments made in her size. There is no garment that Rosette wears that was not worn by Bleuette as well. So she is really a, simply a bigger copy of a Bleuette but she lasted much for a very short time because the production started in 55 and was stopped in 57. So it's a very short span for the production of the doll itself. Now, the wardrobe is longer because the magazine stopped in 1960. So the ready-made outfits for Rosette were produced until the very end. So we have five years of production for the garments but only three years for the doll, because after 57, uh, Gauthier Longreau decided that uh, it was not worth having a new version of Rosette made, because the stocks they already had acquired uh, from SFBJ uh, were enough to cover a couple of years of uh, sales. So this is why the production of, of Rosette is so short, because uh, by the time they finally got to sell all of the rosettes they had in stock, the magazine was over. It, of course, as a collectible today, rosette is very, very much rarer than, than bleuette. And the garments that are made in her size are really difficult to find. It is the joy of collecting uh, with Bluette and Rosette and Bambino and uh, all the different Benemine and all the different, and of course, Bambola as well, is the, the rarities and the way they reflect trends. That's what makes it so interesting. And they even had their own furniture and accessories. Bambino had a playpen, cradle and bassinet, and Bluette had a range of furniture too. Are these items difficult to find today? Well, they are. I have to admit that pieces of furniture in the right size for Bleuette are not difficult to find. But those who really have kept a high value are those who still bear the 
GL label glued on it. And those are really, really difficult to find. When we had displays of Bleuette dolls in our museum, we were fortunate to have found a few that were from private provenance, that were families who had kept them, and they were fully marked so we could document those uh, pieces of furniture in our books. But in private collection, I very rarely see pieces of furniture that are really authentically marked, even though sometimes knowing which pattern, which shape this furniture had, you can find similar ones that are probably made by the same companies, except that Gauthier Langros was not having them made exclusively for them. So they were simply buying here and there what they thought suit Bleuette, uh, Bleuette scale and would be eventually items to sell through the magazine or in their catalogs. But every year, I would say those items changed. So I would tend to suggest to collectors today, when you find pieces of furniture that are in the right size and in the right period for a bleuette, you should buy them no matter what, uh, knowing that those are who are unmarked, of course, have a lesser value and that only those who have that paper sticker can bring very high prices. Today, Bluette is very popular with collectors who love her wardrobe and even sew for the dolls. It seems like Bluette's story didn't end in the 1960s, but continues today. Collectors still create patterns and doll artists even produce reproduction Bluettes. What is the secret of Bluette's enduring appeal? How has she enchanted not only generations of children, but now adults? Well, I was very surprised when I first came to the U.S. to give a talk about Bleuette that there was already an audience through a UFDC convention. In that room, there were more than, I would say, 100 ladies that already knew about Bleuette, which was so surprising to me. Of course, the link of these collectors to the doll was not comparable to that of the French collector that I was used to, who started collecting bread because it reminded uh, their childhood, because they had kept their childhood bread, or they had been deprived uh, of it. So they were trying as adults to buy something that they were not given as children. And all of the others who never stopped being Suzettes, the next generation, they couldn't read Les Men de Suzette because, because it was no longer published. They would keep alive that mythological, almost uh, persona of Bleuette and the wardrobe. And uh, I know some collectors in France who actually started collecting when Gauthier Langros was still in business. So the Suzettes of the 1920s and 30s, in the 50s, they were mothers. So they bought a bluette for the daughter as an excuse, but they kept adding uh, garments to their own bluette. Some of them started collecting them right there at that time. I remember the famous author Colette Merlin, who wrote a book about bluette France, but she had been uh, Suzette during the 20s and 30s, and she already had the awareness that the production of clothing and accessories from Gauthier Langros 
had a collectible possible value at the very end when they closed. So for a couple of years, she used to go at Gauthier Langro in Rue Jacob, and she would buy at least one, if not two, of each different item as a collector, not as a child or the mother who was buying for the daughter. And I understand that this is something that is already happening also with uh, American Doll. In, in some shops, you have an audience that is no longer that of children, but adults who are collecting those items and they are the first in line when a new line comes out. So it's not surprising that Bleuette kept being so attractive to uh, the French audience, of course, who had memories uh, linked to, to Bleuette. But for all the foreigners who were not raised with Bleuette, it's interesting that um, this doll keeps inspiring, especially the crafters, collectors who enjoy to sew for the doll, but also who enjoy to create sceneries, to create vignettes. This is where I think the new dimension that Bleuette has absorbed uh, since especially the social media and the fact that we're all connected and linked, blah, blah. I see lots of wonderful pictures of Bleuette collectors who enjoy to, to, to photograph their dolls and share those photographs. And, and some of them are really so talented in recreating ideal uh, rooms for Bleuette and they change them every season and the wardrobe need to be wide because of course every different scene that you create you need to have the appropriate garment so it becomes a, an adult plating that i think is very a new life a new uh, energy that is brought to uh, this doll and i'm very grateful to still be active in this world of bluet collectors samuel dan Thank you for joining us on the Doll Podcast and sharing the story of this very fashionable doll, Bluette. It's been a joy to hear all about her and her history. Thank you to you, Louisa. And uh, welcome all of those who wish to uh, talk about Bluette. Come and see me in Paris. I will be very happy to uh, share my passion for these dolls distributed by La Semaine de Suzette. I can't wait to come and see you in Paris and see all the wonderful blue Yeah, <laughs> I wait for you. <laughs> Thank you, Sammy. Thank you, Sammy Odin, for joining us on The Doll Podcast. You can find out more about Bluette and see lots of pictures of Sammy's wonderful collection at our website, www.dollpodcast.com. Follow us at The Doll Podcast on Facebook or Instagram. You can subscribe to The Doll Podcast on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you find your podcasts. Check out our archive to hear episodes with Robert Toner, Mel Odom, Rachel Hoffman, Joshua David McKenney, Rebecca Kaufman, and many more. Thank you for joining us on The Doll Podcast. I'm Louisa Maxwell. And we look forward to welcoming you again next time on The Doll Podcast.